0: Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're fortunate to have a coasteer killer himself on the end of the line. Jake Lindsay, Jake, how you doing?
1: Good, Jay, how are you?
0: Good. I remember having you on the last time on the podcast and we got a lot of good feedback uh f- uh from the podcast I did with you and um, for the listeners out there that that uh, didn't hear that podcast, uh, I'd highly recommend go back and listen to it. A little background on Jake, I believe you're a firefighter, you're a U of A Wildcat fan, which uh, uh, th- that that led us to a whole nother discussion on the last podcast, but uh, one thing you're really, really known for is you and your buddies um, seem to be around big coos deer and um you've you've done really really well um being able to you know dredge out some of those big bucks and so i want to get you on the podcast here with the uh arizona deer and sheep uh, uh dead or uh, applications uh the draw just went through and everybody's fired up about coos deer and i thought i could pick uh, uh your brain to um talk a little coos deer no no better person to talk to you than yourself um, But first and foremost, uh, how do you think your cats are going to do this year in football?
1: In which game?
0: (laughs) Well, I I think you're kind of like me. The only game that matters is the ASU-U of A game. And I know both programs are probably – seems like both programs are a little bit in disarray. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things. It doesn't matter – throughout the year how good each team is when that game comes you throw it all away because it's it's just a it's just a wild card i mean that's one thing Mm -hmm. i've loved about the you know for 35 or however 40 years almost that game is just a wild card game
1: yeah it's pretty unpredictable um you know i took my boys uh to the spring football game there uh at the u of a and it was fun um I will say that 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 I'm a little worried. Uh, there was a few bright spots. Uh, uh, we have a a pretty young quarterback that that has some pretty good potential and everything like that. But I'm
0: pretty nervous. It might be another one of those year.
1: I hate to say it, but it might be Rich Rodriguez's last year.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Um, you know. It, uh... These coaches are very, very good, um, you know, all across college football. Obviously, there's better coaches than others. But, you know, Rich Rod is a really, really good coach. And, and, you know, everything always funnels up to the coach, and it's always the coach's fault. But I have to say, I mean, there's been circumstances and such that some of these head coaches, it's not really their fault.
1: No, I mean, I don't know if it's the nature of the beast you you sign a contract and become the coach everything falls on your shoulders regardless of how your players perform so i don't know how you change that it's all about winning and it's all about making that money for the university and if you can't produce w's then it doesn't matter in the end i guess i don't know
0: yeah for sure well i know i'll be looking forward to the game in november and um of course, everybody knows which side I'll be on, but um, it's it's always nice to have that uh, rivalry, and I get a lot of Instagram comments and people around that time razzing me, and um, um, you know certainly I'm one to dish it out, but uh, that comes back twofold when uh, when ASU gets stomped, I usually get uh, plowed pretty good with messages and people uh, piling on, which rightfully so. Um, so let's let's talk about some coos, dear. The last time we talked, um, you guys had um, – you and your buddies, you had killed some big giant deer, and, and um, uh, the draw just came out. And did you ha- did you have any points going in? I believe you killed the buck last year, so you, you had limited points, and um, you probably just drew another coos deer tag, the uh, general season type tag, huh?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, I had no po- – well – I had a couple of points going in, just my hunter's education point and my loyalty point, which everybody can get if you've put in for, I believe it's five consecutive years for a loyalty point, and then hunter's education, you just got to take the course. Uh, So I technically just went in uh, with two points this year, and I did, I drew another general season. Yeah. Uh,
0: tag. One question I would have for you, Jake, and I know we talked a little bit about it on the last episode. Um, I mean, do you swing for the fences and do you go for that late December tag as your first choice for coos deer and then back it up with, say, an October tag? Or or because of the amount of scouting and stuff, you guys have done very, very well early season. Do you just go for your best units and go for those first, you know, those October hunts where you can get first crack at those bucks?
1: Uh, Jay it depends for me anyway uh it kind of depends on if I have a buck already picked out from the year before that I think might have the potential to to turn into something really good or if I feel I don't like I don't have much to work with then I may gamble and and try to put in for a December hunt as a first choice um but you know um my my hunting partner, Mark, and I, we've, we've been pretty fortunate. We've been able to find some pretty good bucks over the past several years and, and keeping tabs on them that the October hunt is just a hard one to pass up. Even if we don't have one necessarily nailed down or for sure uh, in our back pocket before the season starts, we kind of cross our fingers and hope that before the season starts, uh, when we get all of our intel in that we might have something to go with
0: for sure don't you think i mean that the october hunts have gotten a lot of press so to speak we've talked about it i mean there's other publications and what have you talk about if you have bucks spotted you can you know do really well on that october hunt but but taking a step back and and the general hunter that just you know maybe the weekend guy that you know this is his big hunt of the year but just doesn't have a lot of time to scout or maybe it's not a priority would you agree that actually those October hunts can be very, very difficult if you just kind of go in not having scouted, not having a buck picked out? I'm just curious your thoughts of, you know, do you see maybe that December 1st through the 10th, you know, that third coos deer season, not the quote unquote rut hunt, but maybe the, you know, the. December first through the tenth, I believe, is the time frame coming up where the weather is cooler. Maybe they're going to see more deer. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. There's I got a little bit of a pet peeve, and it's when people call that third whitetail hunt a December hunt, and uh, th- there needs to be some distinction with that third whitetail hunt that December first through the tenth coos deer tag number one that that is not a december hunt it just so happens that it falls on december 1st through the 10th this year uh the majority of the time that hunt starts the day after thanksgiving and uh i guess the biggest difference between the two would be the true december hunt which generally starts the middle of december and goes through the 31st you do start getting into that pre-rut activity and the weather of course is a little bit better uh it's at least two weeks long uh the 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 third general hunt which i i usually call it the thanksgiving hunt because it usually starts the day after thanksgiving uh i believe you know i, I personally think the advantage of that hunt is you have more days to work with than the first two uh coos deer hunts uh, the first two coos deer hunts Are only seven days apiece, that late November, or like you said in this case, that December 1st through the 10th hunt, is a 10-day hunt. Uh, So you've got a few more days to work with. Um, For somebody I, I feel like that doesn't have a lot of time to work with, that late November hunt, that third general coos deer hunt, might be your best option because at least you've got two weekends to work with. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, I
0: mean, so from a time frame standpoint, having twice the amount of time, having two weekends, um, you feel like, you know, for the general hunter that that maybe doesn't have the time to spend, not only is it temperature-wise maybe a little bit, you know, a more pleasant, uh, both from, you know, from a human side of it, you know, not, not getting as hot and being able to hike when it's cooler, but from a deer movement and such um do, do you feel like deer movement year in and year out obviously we have moon phases and different things that weigh into that but do you feel like deer movement on those october hunts is less or more than say that uh thanksgiving hunt uh, curious your thoughts well, on well
1: that. I, yeah i think it's no question it's left. and just to i guess piggyback on what you said a little bit ago that's that's why I would say the October hunt, I would agree with you, is a more difficult hunt. If you don't have uh, the time to um, the preseason scout a, a specific buck or, you know, a couple of bucks that might be hanging out in a certain area, that October hunt can really kick your butt. It really can. So they're definitely moving a lot less uh, than than they would be later on in the season, Uh, end of November into December and everything else.
0: One, One thing I would ask, um, talking about movement, um, do you think it's strictly a temperature standpoint, meaning October is, you know, say 10, 15 degrees warmer, um, you know, maybe say than that Thanksgiving hunt. I mean, do you strictly think it's a temperature, um, issue there as far as movement?
1: I think it is because you'll probably find, well, when I what I found anyway is deer do the same thing in the later springtime as well. They're moving back into their summer ranges or I should say that core area where they generally spend most of their lives gets uh, much smaller than it was maybe in January during the rut when they're moving around a lot more. And so... Uh, I think these deer, especially coos deer, they have such a small home range that for uh, nine months, 10 months out of the year, it's really small. So uh, October, um, I would definitely say they're not moving as far as when, when, when these hunting seasons begin, for rifle anyway, October, they're just not moving around very much. And then as you get closer into later November, they'll move around a lot more. I think it's it, it, it's probably a little bit pre-rut related. Uh, the younger bucks might be traveling a little bit more than, than the bigger bucks as you get closer into the middle of December and stuff. But uh, eventually, um, or I should say ultimately in the end, these bucks just aren't moving around very much, largely because of the temperature is what I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um. You know, you, you take that October hunt, one real benefit that, that I see in that is the fact that not many people have been in the field. Those deer are fresh. You could potentially find bucks or groups of bucks that are out on open hillsides feeding, whereas when you get to some of the, you know, second, third seasons, um, some of those quote-unquote gimme bucks... And I'm generally talking about bucks that you know, the 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 general guy that just wants to go cooster hunting every year and just shoot a buck. Um, the one thing about October is maybe there's a chance you get back in some of those basins and those deer are not as pushed around. Um, you know, so it, it I can see positives and negatives of both hunts. Um, it seems like guys, you know, like yourself, always tend to pick those you know seasons where you get first crack at them but i think most of that's because you want to have a buck scouted out in the summer and know exactly where you want to be and you're basically sitting on one hill for the entire hunt correct
1: well sure and, and you know jay there's several factors that go into wh-
0: where i'm at you know
1: come opening morning and um you know when you consider certain mountain ranges uh You know, throughout the southwest, most of our cruise deer habitat, we get really good rains, especially in the summer and everything like that. When you get up in those mountains, there's plenty of springs and and, um, pools of water that these whitetail have to work with. So they're spread out so much, and our whitetail population is doing so well that you don't have to necessarily worry about rain for the most part. But you can find little pockets where... They tend to be a little bit more dry than normal, and I think that might be uh, uh, feed-related when it comes to what these animals tend to uh, why they spend most of their time there. So, for, for me personally, I I, I I might not be hunting the same place year after year, and it could it could be related to these little pockets that might not have got as much rain as the year before. I may I may have a tendency to stay away from that. I don't necessarily think those bucks leave those areas, but it could reflect on his antler growth that year as well. So I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is I hunt where I can find the biggest buck, and if I found one, then that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time. Uh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to hunt anywhere else hoping, I guess anyway during that October hunt, hoping that a big buck is just going to appear. Uh, for the most part I, where I'm at opening morning is, is, is where I, I, I feel like I have the best chance of killing the biggest buck.
0: Okay, let's go down a little bunny trail here on what you're saying. So you're saying that Most of the time when you go out coos deer hunting, really no, no matter what season it is, you are going to be in an area that you have seen a big buck, you know that he's in the area. And so tactically, you are going to really work that country over until either A, you find the buck and, you know, he's got a broken antler or you find you know, you're glassing off a rock and you find the buck and somebody else shoots them or, you know, you blow the buck out or what have you, like it, and I think it's important to to kind of grind this in is like the reason you guys have been successful, well, one of the reasons is the fact that you guys are hunting in an area where you have either seen a big buck or you know that there's a big buck there and then you concentrate your efforts in that spot correct
1: exactly and and that doesn't necessarily mean that for all for anybody that wants to follow me around in my talking field it doesn't mean that i found a big buck <laughs> okay? right, right. It, it just means that that i you know my time is limited so i i don't i, I don't feel like uh if, if i don't feel like i'm in the right area i'm not going to waste my time and so uh, if, if, if I feel like there's a specific buck that I need to put my eyes on, that's where I'm going to be. And, and if he happens to be, maybe because of the year before, I felt like he had a, a whole lot of potential, then that's exactly where I'm going to be opening morning. Um, there's, uh, there's nowhere else, I guess, in my mind, once again, I'm, just, I'm not going to waste my time with.
0: H- have you had the unfortunate circumstance of finding a big giant buck in an area that you're like, Oh my goodness. Why in the world do you have to be right here? Like everybody in the (laughs) world is around and here you are dancing around out on the hillsides. I mean, have you ever been sitting there glassing going bed down? Would you just like that, that? I think for guys like yourself, um, you know, that spend a lot of time on state land hunting big deer, I'm sure you've found big deer in places that you wish you wouldn't have found them there.
1: Uh, Jay, for sure. Jay, you know Randy Epperson, and he's got a little saying of there's no secrets in the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so much truth to that. I, I found a, a an exact scenario. I found a really big buck down in a, a southern Arizona unit that, uh, just gets pounded by, by deer hunters. Um, well, I'll just say what it is down in 36a. And this was in August, uh, that I glassed this deer up and he couldn't have been in a more obvious place. And I, I saw this deer several times and I actually had an October tag for, for that same hunt that same year. I found that deer, um, about a mile away from where I saw him when he was in velvet. Uh, the evening before the first day of the hunt, and I thought that I had this deer uh, basically in the back of my truck, and ultimately, in the end, I never killed that deer. I never even saw him during the hunt. uh, I spent the first five days of the hunt looking for him, and I think that uh, was largely due to the amount of people that just started showing up that night and even the next morning. You know, there's these deer just... Uh, they disappear when they start getting a lot of pressure. I think that deer was still there close by. He just was not moving very much for me. So there's nothing you can do about it sometimes. You just uh, continue to hunt those places uh, where the big deer might be, whether that's in the deep, dark canyons or or whether that's right off the highway. Uh, That's just where you have to hunt them. you got to hope that he pokes his head out one morning
0: yeah and and I think that goes back to you know your first second third season as well, and you know where you hunt for five days on the October hunt, and people are all around, and that buck's just gonna lay up in the brush and never even gets up. your gut tells you that 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 buck was you know right there the whole time, maybe you get that you know Thanksgiving hunt that you call it, and maybe you get two weekends um may you know maybe having you know twice as much time. Uh, gives you a chance to just sit there and sit there and sit there, and finally that buck makes a mistake. But w- wouldn't you agree that I mean, there have been some giants in the state of Arizona killed. I mean, literally in places that you would just cringe and think, "You got to be kidding me!" How has that buck managed to live there um, as long as he has?
1: Yeah, and and you know that's a hard one to to wrap my head around. Everybody. These days have uh, a set of fifteen power binoculars, and everybody's got a tripod. And God, I think uh, if there was a a change in technology um, over the past, God, I don't know how many years that has sort of revolutionized hunting in general. It's been trail cameras, and so how, how does a buck survive that long? Uh, my only explanation is. There's not very many people putting cameras up next to the highway i i, I that's the only explanation I have and when you got a, such a small home range of these really big bucks, that's just how they tend to survive so uh yeah i mean it, it's it's a it's i it's a tough one to explain uh or or understand uh I personally don't spend a lot of time next to the highway, so it's nothing. Uh, so I'm, I'm unlucky in that, uh, <laughs> sense that, uh, most of the time when we're killing the bucks that we're killing, it's a little bit more of a pack out than that.
0: For sure. Let, let's take a step back here. And for some of the listeners out there that maybe I, I get a lot of people messaging me saying, you know, it's their first coos deer hunt. They're excited about drawing and regardless of what season they drew, um, let's just say, you know, first, second, third even, even the December, you know, pre-rut hunt. Um, what are some general things of a guy like yourself that, you know, have killed a lot of deer? And, and and maybe break this down, maybe talk about, you know, looking for big deer, but maybe just talk to the people that are have drawn their cooster tag this year for the first time. What are things that you would do in giving them advice for going on their first cooster hunt you know types of country to look at. What should they be doing, etc.
1: Uh, you know, I think it starts from you got to get in your truck and you got to go drive into your unit. That's the that that plays a big factor in in the whole thing. There used to be a time, Jay, when that's all people did. That's the only way you could scout. Was you hopped in your truck and you drove there and you figured the roads and the ter- terrain out yourself, and then you start. Uh, referencing topographical maps and and then you can start seeing uh vantage points and and natural travel routes and north-facing slopes where deer generally tend to hang out uh and and things like that but seeing it firsthand there's there's no replacement for that and uh, uh and then beyond getting in your truck and beating your truck up and putting all the miles on it you you got to get out of your truck and you got to hike a little bit. Uh, that's that's the main thing. There's a big. Uh, it's so easy to get information now online that I think we've we've sort of seen uh, a little bit of a lazy hunting culture when it comes to getting information on their own. They just kind of uh, east gather. Are you telling me that college. there's
0: people that draw cooster hunts? And are you telling me, Jake, that? There's people that draw these tags, and they the first day of their hunt is the first day they they actually went to the unit. Are you uh, telling no. me that that happens? <laughs> <laughs> Never. You know, Jay, I used to I used to work for
1: PSE here in Tucson, the compound
0: bow manufacturer,
1: and it always drives me crazy. Cause we'd have guys coming in a week before the archery bull season would start and try to get bows set up. So, no, I mean, let's just face it. Not everybody loves it the way you and I do. Uh and, and maybe that's a good thing. It keeps a little bit more people out of the field and we can enjoy the solitude a little bit more. But when it comes down to, to it in, in you know the other thing you got to consider is not a lot of people are out there willing to hold out for for bucks that we generally want to come home with.
0: Thank goodness, so, right? Thank goodness for those it, yeah.
1: people. <laughs> yeah, it's if you're just an average coos deer hunter and this is your first time drawing a tag just hop in your truck and drive to your unit and get to know it familiarize yourself with the roads. sometimes you'll show up and some roads might be closed off so uh familiarize yourself with the roads buy a topo map these days you've got them on your smartphone so get one on your smartphone and start picking the la- the, the land apart and the terrain apart and uh you can find vantage points where you can get up there with your binoculars and you Let, Let's talk right, about get...
0: that Jake. Let's talk about that. I started to interrupt, but what are you when you say vantage points, what are you looking for and what advice can you give people out there that are listening, you know, so they're getting in their truck, they're driving, like visually, what are you looking for when you say vantage point?
1: I'm looking at anything that based on the terrain and the topography based on all of that, I can see the most country possible. And and that's generally the first vantage point that I, if I'm, if I'm stepping into the unit for the first time, that's the first vantage point that I'm going to go to because as I get up there and I see the most terrain as possible, I might see a different point that I definitely want to get to. So, uh, you know, you want to see as much country as possible, when you get up there, you might realize it's not as good as, you, as as you thought, but you might see that next point that puts you exactly where you think you want to be um, to scout during the summer or opening day of your deer hunt or or whatever. I I do tend to, I, I like to find stuff that where I can uh, glass into some north facing slopes or some or some uh, northwest facing slopes that might get a little bit more um or northeast I, anywhere you can get the shade uh, is where these deer are generally going to hang out so i'm, I'm not going to necessarily focus on a vantage point that's only going to give me a south-facing slope
0: okay that that leads me into another series of questions we touched on it on the podcast before um but i i, I want to say kind of when i first started coos deer hunting I did kind of the opposite. I went and found vantage points, but I went where I could see the best, which typically is the open, south-facing slope. And you tend to pick up more deer on those south-facing slopes when you're a beginner, when you're not, don't have a trained eye to look into the shadows, and you know, spend a lot of time looking into those north-facing, thicker hillsides. Would you agree that a lot of people? go on their cooster hunts, and maybe even hunt for for a long time, never really focusing where the majority of the deer are. I wish you could speak to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's no question you can see more deer on a south-facing slope than you can a north-facing slope. If you're going to do that, you better start really early in the morning or really late in the evening, uh, the deer aren't going to hang out there for very long, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, you you can't uh, expect uh, we, we are no different than the deer are. So you can't expect us to sit out in the middle of the sun for too long without without just getting too hot. Um. So, so if you're a beginner and you want to see a lot of country and you want to see some deer for sure, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's what you need is you need to train that eye to to find those coos deer, uh, that might be the best thing that you can do. Sometimes looking into those north-facing slopes or where it's really thick with a lot of vegetation uh, can be a little monotonous and time-consuming because you're trying to pick apart pieces of deer as opposed to on a big open south-facing slope, you can generally see that entire deer and your eyes can get a little bit better or a little bit more trained for it.
0: Yeah, I I think you hit it really good there. Um, you know, you, you can train your eye to see the full body shape of a deer on a south-facing slope. And and typically I see quite a few does, um, quite a few fawns, some small bucks. Um, but when, when I'm looking for a big point, I'm trying to look where I can see open slopes and then just barely make a pivot and see into a bunch of thick, you know, north-facing slopes. Uh, and I want to come back to the north-facing slopes here in a minute, but but you also said something where if you're if, speaking to the people out there that are just kind of getting their feet wet coaster hunting, you're going to be looking for vantage points and places where you can get up and see a lot of country. So from what I hear you saying is you're taking kind of a macro approach, a big approach, uh, spreading a big net out and trying to, you know, first day glassing in your unit, just kind of get an overall sense, overall view And then maybe from there, you identify four or five other ridges or points or high, you know, high knobs or what have you, or maybe even low knobs, but it might look into particular country. How do you itemize or how do you characterize or uh, categorize, you know, oh, I want to go on that knob. Oh, I need to go on that knob. Like, what are you looking for once you've gotten your macro view?
1: Well, sometimes it's difficult, especially if you don't have something like a topographical map for reference. Uh, You know, I can sit up on a knob and look a certain direction and see another knob and feel like I want to get over there and check it out. Well, having a topographical map to tell me what's exactly on the other side of that second knob might... uh, might might be the deal breaker as far as me making that that you mean like a main road
0: or 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 you know a a piece of private property and a bunch of disturbance over there is that you know well is that what what you mean
1: well it could it could be anything exactly jay it might be a sheer drop-off cliff that that i know uh you know for a good two or three hundred yards there's not going to be any deer over there so it it may be something that just isn't practical. Now, there could be a giant living over there, and maybe I would have never known it, and somebody like yourself uh, knew about that that little draw or that little canyon, and I just never went. But um, g- generally, I'm just trying to base whether I make my next move or not off of uh, most of the time this map that I've got in my hand and what the terrain is is telling me uh, where where you know in my case i'm looking for mature bucks and i i feel like i got an idea where these mature bucks are living uh but if you're just looking for any bucks in in general jay you can find those it seems like in any terrain on any hillside anymore with how well our coos deer population is doing
0: yeah f- for sure uh y- 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 You talked about, you know, you're looking for mature bucks, and you said you had a pretty good understanding of where the mature bucks are. I would ask you, in all of your years of expertise, if if you could summarize where the most mature bucks are, where are they?
1: It's where you don't want to go. I don't know if there's any other way to explain it. And that could you know, some people might interpret that as the the, the really far backpack cons that nobody wants to go to and some might interpret that as the little tiny cut below the highway. It's where people don't want to go, it's where people overlook, but I would say in general, um these big bucks are big because they didn't get the pressure that that uh all of your small bucks living on the south-facing slopes or anywhere remotely close to to a road where anybody on a quad or a side-by-side can get to. So um, I, I would venture to say that the majority of your big bucks that you're going to look for, it's going to take some effort and, and probably more physical effort than it is mental effort uh, glassing for a buck underneath the highway.
0: So from what I hear you saying... If you can get away from roads, if you can get to where you can look into country that is not easy to get to, and if you can get good at glassing north-facing slopes, you have a much better chance to finding more mature deer. I would agree. Okay. From a terrain standpoint, I know you found big bucks in... You know ocotillo desert flats to you know yellow grass you know oak mesquite basins to you know thick you know nasty all the way up into the pines um for for general people out there just trying to go on a cooster hunt and just trying to get into a lot of action to see a lot of bucks over your years of experience is there any type of terrain as far as vegetation that you would say if you could stick in this vegetation you're going to have a lot of chances to see deer and see bucks Um, you know is there any sort of vegetation or or contour or you know type of country that you would say you know if you just want to go on your first coaster hunt you want to get into a lot of bucks a lot of action this is what you need to look for
1: well i would i would say that if you're going on your first cruise deer hunt and you want to see a lot of bucks, I would probably stay out of the low country.
0: That's, meaning, meaning the probably. desert flats and the ocotillos?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, you can still get those ocotillos and prickly pears and stuff like that, uh, mesquite trees up in the the, the mountains of the southern of, of the southern Arizona units, and so you can still get into quite a few bucks and stuff like that. But when I'm talking low country, when you start getting into those mesquite flats and, uh, um, rolling hills and whatnot, it's, it just becomes real difficult, number one, to find them because there's so, there's, there's almost no vantage points out there. But, uh, I I would, I would tend to say that if you're looking to have a good successful first Coos deer hunt and, uh, you want to make sure that you're in the right terrain, uh, or uh, vegetation and whatnot to, to to get into where you'll have the most opportunity at bucks. You just got to get up higher, and you got to get up higher than uh, some of the other guys are willing to go. So um, get away mean, from hi, the road. Do you mean
0: hiking deeper? Is that what you mean? Like getting higher, getting deeper, getting further in? Exactly. Okay, okay. Okay, and then do you look for like isolated points like cone knobs or are you looking for like a ridge line when you're looking both you know physically in the field and on your topo are you looking for just isolated knobs or are you looking for like big long ridge lines that you can get up on certain little rock outcroppings and be able to look off both sides like you know I'm trying to pick into your brain of like what you're looking for. If you, let's say you're going into a new unit, which you've been in all those units down there, but let's just say you're going into a new unit. Are you looking yeah. and seeing a juicy long ridge that's like three or four miles long, and it just keeps getting taller and taller and taller, and you know, but it's a predominant spine? Or are you looking at some you know cone, you know type yellow peak, you know yellow grass on one side and thick you know, oaks or thick trees on, on the north-facing slope, and that's where you want to get up on.
1: Yeah, you know, if I can, if, if I'm looking for the most ideal spot to glass from in an area that I've never been to, I'm probably going to gravitate towards the cone-type knob or, or hill that I can uh, have a, a good 360 view without having to move around too much. Uh, that's that's for sure. Sometimes when you get up on those ridge lines, uh, you become a little bit limited uh, because you're only glassing in front of you and behind you. Uh, when, you when you're when you up on a cone knob or, or tall peak or something like that, you can get kind of a 360 view all the way around you. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, Jay, I, I found really big bucks from obvious spots, but but that oftentimes isn't where I end up opening morning to try to hunt them, and that's generally because I found what may be uh, not the most ideal spot to glass from, but it is the most ideal spot to glass from for that specific deer. So I I could I could easily move uh, by the time the hunt starts. Or whatever to give myself a little bit different of a view down inside where he lives that's going to give me a lot better information than if I were to be uh, way up higher or have a, a view of a lot more country. My, my view might be smaller, um, my field of view in, in what I'm trying to look for, but I'm getting a lot better information than I was back where I recently found him.
0: You keep talking about information and what I gather from that is you, you're processing all of the, the the things that are happening that you're seeing through the binos, you're constantly keeping track of the information and, and like data processing almost and, and I'm I'm reading into this that by the time the season starts you've done enough looking from here and there and wherever that that you have a pretty good sense of okay I've watched this buck now from 3 miles away all summer but I'm going to be on that knob at daylight you know or the night before and I'm going to be right in there on the, in that buck's kitchen and and I would I would also assume that there's some deer that maybe you still stay back maybe until you you watch them maybe you feel like you can see them better I'm just I, I want to pick into kind of your strategy of do you stay back or do you get in there tight and at what point do you decide to okay now's the time to get tight on that deer?
1: Yeah, Jay, I found that that for for me personally that thousand yard range is generally about. A, I might get a little bit closer. But anywhere from eight hundred to a thousand yards is generally about as close as I want to get to a really big deer. Uh, I I don't know what it is. Uh, Why? I feel like Why? With well, well, I I I feel like that deer has has uh has has lived his life uh uh and and evaded as many predators as you can throw at that deer. Um and and I feel like um that 's sort of the comfort zone that I have when i 'm trying to spend a lot of time with that deer uh there's there's now certainly when i 'm when i 'm hunting, I have no problem sneaking in closer and 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 trying to trying to make it happen with with that but that eight hundred to a thousand yard range is like the perfect range that I get where I can break him down and i I can tell you what he 's going to score and stuff. With the 15 power binoculars, and it'll work perfect uh, in within that range. And I don't feel like I'm bumping him or getting within uh, too close uh, of his core core uh, living room in his kitchen, like you'd call it.
0: I think that's a huge point. I mean, Dar and I always talk about you know never get inside of 300 yards of a deer you want to kill, um, and and that's speaking specifically like when we're on a stock trying to kill a buck we're looking for a vantage point a sniper position you know where we could get 300 yards or further from the deer where we can make an accurate shot where we have a good assessment of the area where the buck is uh, you know, if we were to miss our first shot, maybe a, a rock knob or something where we we have good vantage over the deer, try and put the shooter in that type of position. But what I also hear you saying is, you know, that 800 to 1,000 yards, one thing I think about that is at 1,000 yards, you have a nice buffer there where most of the time that deer is not going to sense that you're there. I I totally agree with you in the fact that you start getting in that even five, six hundred, you know, four, four, five, six hundred yards, and you clank a tripod leg. Or you, I've seen deer just, you know, at a thousand yards, you can get away with a lot. Uh, at, at 500 yards, you can get away with way less, and certainly at 300 yards, you can't get away with anything.
1: Sure, sure. I don't know how many times, Jay, I've been archery hunting, and I feel like I can get within 100 yards of all these deer all day long, but I can't get any closer to that. But when I got a rifle in my hand, I can't get anywhere closer than 400 yards. I just don't get it.
0: <laughs> I, but, I, I I totally know what you're saying. I think some of that maybe has to do with you just buckle down and make yourself get in that 100 <laughs> yards. But if you're anything like we are, I mean, when you start getting you know, under 400 I feel like every step that I take, that I'm just like, oh gosh, he's gonna hear me. He's gonna, you know. And you're sure. say you get in at three fifty, and you're trying to get your pack set up. Like I feel like every little zipper move, anything you do, that deer's gonna sense you're there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: I, I've always felt like Jay. If you're not seeing
1: very many deer, you're just moving too much. And you, you've you've got to you've you've got to just hold still. You've got to make your movement slow. And when it comes to these big animals, if you don't think they can pick up movement or sounds at five, 600 yards, then you're, you're, you're going to learn really fast that that's not the case. And, you know, these, especially when we're talking about big bucks, they live in places where sometimes it's going to be a thousand yard shot, or it's going to be a 300 yard shot. And there's no in between. So, If if you can man, if you've got enough terrain or vegetation to work with, sometimes you can sneak within three hundred yards, and that buck would have no idea that you're there. But other times you might not have that buffer, and so you've hopefully you're a really good shot from a long distance, or uh, you've got to almost turn it into a a little bit of a miniature archery hunt where you're a lot more patient um you're you're using the the vegetation and the terrain to your advantage and trying to get to that spot that ultimately you're in his kitchen and if if you're making too much noise or you're moving around way too much he's gonna he's gonna figure you out and uh i hope you're quick on the trigger when he does
0: (laughs) i i i've told guys that i've hunted with before and they look at me like a lot of times they look at me like I'm absolutely out of my mind nuts and I say listen yeah we're going to go stalk in on this deer and I want you to pretend that if that deer hears you or senses you you pretend that he's got a gun too and he can shoot you and they look at me like huh and I say <laughs> you got to be a you got to be a predator like you don't want them knowing you're there and act like if that you have to be so sneaky and so secretive so that you don't get shot. And they're like, you want me to start acting like that deer's going to shoot back? I'm like, exactly. And once I say that. Then they realize, oh, okay, I get it. Like, if that deer could shoot back, I would stay on the backside of the ridge. I would never even expose myself. I've seen so many people like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go shoot that deer. And they just go walking right down off totally exposed. And it's like, okay, let's pretend that deer could shoot at 1,000 yards. Would you do that? No. Okay, then Get on the backside of the ridge or don't skyline over, you know, creep over, keep brush behind you. There's so many things that, you know, and and some of the guys that I've hunted with that have military backgrounds and, you know, law enforcement backgrounds, you know, snipers and such, you know, they're pretty, they get it. They get the fact that, yeah. you know, you don't put, you don't put yourself out there exposed at all ever and, you you know, you don't want your quote-unquote enemy or your quarry knowing you're even in the country until you're ready to pull the trigger. And, you know, if, if you can go about hunting coos deer with that much, you know, attention to detail and stealth, I think, and i curious your thoughts, I think your level of success goes way, way up.
1: Well, and I, think, and I think that's what it is, Jen. If you look back at all the people that you maybe grew up, looking up to that were that that were hunting here in the southwest and you you started to slowly recognize those people who were really successful and then you ultimately see their tactics and and their methods and what they're doing in the field and it's not slamming doors when they're getting out of the truck ever it's not (laughs) walking exactly ever and no matter how many times you tell them to stop slamming the door, they still slam the door, but, um, you know, just, just see what works. And I I think for me, what, what has generally worked, just like you were saying, you imagine that deer is hunting you. Um, I, I I tend to tell people, Hey, uh, if if you're not sure what to do, hold still. And if you're not sure what to say, don't say anything. Right. So just keep quiet, hold still, and then just follow my lead, do, do what I'm doing. And then, and then, yeah, I, I get it. We're going to look funny to some hunter that's watching us sneak in on a buck and we're still 800 yards away and we're slowly crawling. I, I understand that, but this is just generally what works. Yeah. And so you got to go with it. And so, uh, you know, some people have their own methods and, and, and they work too. And, and I get that and I understand it, but I've been fortunate enough and, Um, Mark, my, my hunting buddy is, is one of the best whitetail hunters I know. And I've learned a ton from him also. And, uh, we, we did, we're learning from each other every year and, and, uh, we found exactly what works and it certainly isn't being complacent on the, on the hillside.
0: For sure. Uh, I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider uh, for their title sponsorship and I want to remind you guys, the listeners, that you can sign up using the Jscot promo code, and you're automatically going to get a $50 store credit to the Go Hunt gear shop. And thats handpicked, hand-picked, field-tested gear. And you're going to get free shipping, good technical support, and uh, GoHunt.com Insider, if you're researching any of the western states, is a phenomenal resource to figure out those hidden gem hunts. And just remind you to use the J. Scott uh, promo code and you're going to get that $50 store credit. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting and remind you guys that uh, here starting tomorrow on July 20th, they're going to be in Denver, Colorado, the uh, 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Then they're going to go to Colorado Springs, Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Missouri, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Dallas, Houston, Lubbock, Texas, Albuquerque and many more cities across the uh, United States, you can go to Kuyu.com to figure out where the Kuyu mobile showroom is going to be. Now, this mobile showroom has every piece of Kuyu gear, every size. You can try on every size of boot, every size of jacket, every size of pant uh, and figure out what works best for you. You can touch it, feel it. Uh, and uh, the the response from the Kuyu mobile showroom has been which has been outstanding. I encourage you guys to check out the uh, Kuyu Ultralight mobile showroom. I also want to uh, thank Cody Nelson at the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code there, you can get a uh, 10% discount on uh, the products there at the Outdoorsman's. They're the Optics Authority. And then Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis, uh, He his company takes any uh, Spotting scope, any optic, any binocular, and is able to mount a uh, phone, so you can be immediately taking uh, photos and videos through your any optic. Uh, and phonescope.com. If you use the Jscott16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, and I thank you for supporting those sponsors. They support my uh, my podcast and. Uh, Between you guys, the listeners, and the sponsors, that's what makes this podcast possible. Uh, Jake, back to what we were talking about, being stealthful. I think we've given some good information to those people out there that are looking at going on their first coos deer hunt. Uh, One thing I would ask you is talk a little bit about, from, say, the early season, well, talk about the summer into the early seasons and as the seasons progress, people that are just out looking for, you know, bucks to hunt, bucks to shoot at, um, you know, do they typically, are they by themselves, are they in bachelor groups, um, talk a little bit about that in, in, in your scouting, you know, are you looking for multiple bucks, are you looking for singles, What what are you looking for?
1: well for for me personally i'm 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 generally in a, in an area that uh i'm either looking for a specific buck from the year before or i'm looking in some country that seems to produce mature bucks altogether i would say the the least amount of my scouting is done in june because i feel like it's number one way too hot number two it's kind of the most unproductive if you've got the time i guess getting familiar with the roads and different things like that, it would cer- certainly benefit you. I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea where I at least want to start year after year. Um, down here in southern Arizona anyway, no matter which unit I'm drawing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would say that things start getting a little bit more serious for me anyway when it gets closer to August. I feel like I've got uh, a, a better um idea on what these bucks are going to become by the end of july at least down here in southern arizona um the weather is actually a little bit better too you start getting into the monsoons so uh the temperatures are are more bearable when it when you're talking about getting out there and either glassing uh hiking around checking trail cameras whatever it is it's a little bit more um tolerable tolerant anyway um in 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 early in later J- july and first part of august and stuff stuff like that um, but that's that's kind of how i do it uh and and i'll continue to do that through august and uh even into september and uh just try to keep tabs on the specific uh deer that i'm following um most of the time that time of year they're all going to be in bachelor herds they're not going to be by themselves once in a great while though you can find a a real big buck that might be by himself he's just old and i don't know he feels a little bit more comfortable that way anyway but generally the bigger bucks are going to be bachelor together and maybe the smaller bucks will be bachelor together also but rarely do you see real small bucks hanging out with a real big buck or vice versa
0: so we're at we're uh july 19th right now i would ask you because um, I'm sure there's people listening that have trail cameras running. Maybe they're new to it. Um, where are your mature bucks right now as far as growth? I mean, are they out to their G3s? You know, can Are they taking shape? I know every buck is kind of a little bit different. I know coos deer kind of mature at different rates, but kind of...
1: Well, I think you can tell they're mature, uh, and oftentimes you can tell they're mature just by their sheer body size usually you have to reference them to another buck that's standing next to them or whatever but uh you know sometimes in these in these uh early season summertime their coats and everything like that they look all thin and their necks are skinny and so everything uh has a tendency to 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 relatively look smaller than they do and december and january and stuff but for the most part you got to have something to reference them with uh but these mature bucks i would say in my experience uh you can get them uh, in they start getting into their g3s uh you know you got um good eye guards and and uh, um, you can tell their their g2s are, are are looking really good and they might be real balled up at the top and see that they've still got quite a bit of growing to do, but you'll start getting into the G3s um, this time of year. Uh, but like you said, everything kind of grows a little bit different. You might have one that that uh, grows a little bit slower than the other. I had a buck uh, that I killed a couple of years ago. Uh, he was, um, for example, he he grew much faster than all the other bucks around there. And even the buck that he was hanging out with, the buck he was hanging out with ended up being about a 100-inch buck. Um, he even rubbed his velvet uh, three and a half weeks later than the big buck that he was hanging out with that I shot. So, so it, it's kind the, of interesting how the, how the big how they all buck,
0: work like that. Sorry to cut you off, but the big buck grew up real fast, and then the the 100 incher rubbed his velvet, and then the big giant, didn't even rub for another three three weeks later. Is that what you, is that what? You no, meant?
1: no, no. The small, the smaller buck, uh, the smaller buck rubbed later, okay. like three and a half weeks after the big buck did, and you could tell right away. It seemed like to me that their growth was was relatively the same, given one was 120 inches and the other one was 100 inches, but the one rubbed his velvet three and a half weeks later. Gotcha. It, it was it was just kind of interesting. But as far as the growth goes, you could obviously tell the 120-inch deer was going to be bigger than the 100-inch deer. Uh, that seemed apparent from uh, the third week in July. But as everything progressed, that 120-inch deer just kept putting on more
0: and more inches so
1: much faster than the other deer.
0: Don't you think, you know, being the 19th of July, don't you think the next say 30 days that's when you can have deer that on trail camera or that you're looking at look you know pretty same class and then that that buck that you're obviously you know 120 130 type 140 type class deer that's where in the next two weeks to to say 30 days when they just blow up
1: uh absolutely i always think it's funny when when guys get on social media the the first couple of weeks in August and they keep talking about oh man the deer are behind this year i don't know what they're going to do and this buck seems really small what do you guys think and well in my opinion you got a a one or two year old deer that's what you're looking at so yeah. naturally he, he's just going to be small we we just have to remember uh that you know uh through August you know, that's when they're going to do the majority of their, that's when they're going to have the majority of their growth. And so you, you just got to be patient. I mean, these, these bucks, uh, they have their cycle and, and, and everything generally remains the same year after year. And so you just got to be patient and understand that they put on so many inches, uh, so fast that we tend to forget uh, exactly how fast that is. And usually it's the first couple of weeks in august when people start getting frustrated but by the first week in september everybody's happy again
0: for those listeners out there that don't know typically a big big mature buck is done growing when and he rubs when
1: uh i would say tip typically typically i would say a big buck is done growing uh the 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 third week in september
0: and I, I would rub. say they're
1: already. I would. I would say they're already rubbing their antlers shortly after that third, fourth. You know. You know, right towards the end of September, they're already rubbing. This is down here in Southern Arizona too, so sure. things might change by a couple of weeks up in Northern Arizona. But in general, I'd say a big buck is done growing by by uh, the middle uh, middle towards the end of September.
0: Okay, so in other words, between now, your your big bucks that you're watching now. Being you know third week in July, you're being patient because you know they still have a long ways to go.
1: For, for sure, and and Jay, I used to spend a lot of time out there in July, and even the first part of August. Uh, I probably don't spend as much time as I used to for, for for various reasons, but for the most part, because it never made a difference. Right. And ultimately, uh, you know, my time is is valuable to me and and i would rather see how how these deer are hitting the middle of their growth and uh, as opposed to the beginning of of their growth because that's gonna give me a lot a lot better information than than if i were to start burning all my vacation time now instead of later
0: i think that's a huge point like let them grow up let you know get them get them where when you look at them you're like okay they're pretty much grown this is a buck i want to focus on rather than spending too much time and i think people do this a lot with elk too it's like they spend so much time in early season velvet when the you know they're just growing and what have you like and then by the time the hunt comes or when they should actually be really scouting that you know they don't have any more vacation and and you know they're they're hosed and i've seen it over and over and over so i think that's a good point uh I want to finish by asking you about bucks and, and one thing, darn, I hunt a lot in Mexico and, you know, we'll have a buck that's, you know, say 105 inches and we're just like, Nope, let's not shoot him and, and let's let him grow. And then we come the very next year and it's the same deer on the same hill in the same place. And he's the same 105 inches. Can you, (laughs) can you speak to your level of experience watching deer and getting frustrated at you know it's a 108 inch buck while some may say that's a phenomenal buck and yes it is but when you want them to get to that 115 that 118 that 122 like to blow up do you get frustrated a lot watching deer that you think are going to blow up and then they they're the same year after year after year
1: sure i mean i i think that i I have tendencies to believe that every uh, relatively young looking hundred inch deer is automatically going to be 120 inch deer. I just got to let him grow for a few more years. <laughs> we we all love to dream like that. Uh, I think some deer just don't have the genetics. That's ultimately what it is in the end. He might have the age and he may have had the moisture and everything that he needed where he lives, but he just topped out. It's, it's just in my experience that's exactly what you're dealing with. Um I I do feel like though, because of moisture and feed, you get you can get some fluctuation with that. And so you might have a deer that that uh is a hundred inch deer and then maybe the next year he he might even be a little bit smaller and and you do have to consider certain things and uh that might be uh the the amount of moisture, the amount of feed that he had or the type of feed
0: that he had that year like have you Um, given up on deer in that situation and then all of a sudden three years later you're like there he is again and he's blown up like you gave up on him yeah
1: yeah well you know and 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 maybe maybe not necessarily given up but i I could i could tell you that that mark and i have been blown away at, at what certain deer have done and it's because maybe we watched them as a Two-year-old and a three-year-old, and 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 they're not really making a lot of progress, and and maybe they're a deer that doesn't look like they have the potential, but then all of a sudden, it just it just happened, and it, it's hard to explain. Uh, I don't know if anybody could have said that deer has the potential of being a inch deer, um, but but you know, and that's that's why I think it's important also to you know, you tend to hang out in these areas that produce these mature bucks, and you, you, you it's kind of cool because you keep tabs on these bucks and you see how they grow year to year and, 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 uh, and you can't give up on them per se. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you can watch a deer, if you can watch a deer for, for two, three and four years at a time and, and, uh, if he becomes stagnant for a couple of years in a row, he probably, probably reached his max, reached his prime, but, you can't quite give up on a deer because the very next year he's just as big, if or, or maybe maybe a little bit bigger or maybe even a little bit smaller. I think you got to give him a couple of years before you totally give up on him.
0: If you had to pin down and say, you know, most, let's say, hundred and twenty-inch bucks are X years old. What would your age like? What do you want your bucks like? If if it was a perfect world and you could throw a circle you know a, a a bubble around some of the deer you're watching what age would you say i want that deer to get to this age and that's where he'll be at his prime
1: uh, i'd say six
0: if they can get to six they're going to have a good chance to be a big mature it, big rack deer
1: it, exactly if they're if they've got those genetics i would say they've they've got to reach that um but Every deer is different, but if I'm going to throw a bubble around it, I'm going to say six, maybe five, but, but five or six.
0: And would you also, would you agree or disagree that some deer never even will be a hundred inches? They just, I don't care if they're eight years old, they will never make a hundred (laughs) inches.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's funny. I I helped a guy shoot a, a whitetail last year up in unit 23 and, uh, Uh, when I saw this deer, he had a huge body on him, but he had the smallest kind of dwarf funky palmated little three point antlers on him. And this was his first coos deer and he didn't care. He was just so excited. He shot this deer and we got up to this deer and, and, uh, he was blind in one eye. He smelled like he was in full rut and this was a early November, hunt. (laughs) uh, He was just an old, uh, nasty old coos deer, but I'll bet the deer didn't score more than 60 inches. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we aged his teeth as best as we could without being, uh, experts at it or whatever. He was probably nine to 10 years old. Wow. And, and so, uh, I, I don't know. Now that deer, no doubt was regressing. But I would put a lot of money on the fact that that deer was probably never a hundred-inch deer to begin with.
0: Right. Right. And and the anomaly deer or that deer that you and your hunting partner, are, you know, looking for. I mean, you guys are looking for one twenty-plus. I, I would I I would bet they're not around everywhere. Speak to that a little bit. I mean, the hundred and twenty-inch plus deer is hard to find.
1: Uh, well, no doubt, no doubt
0: they're hard to find.
1: Um, I, I I didn't have, you know, um, I, I killed 120 inch deer uh, two and a half years ago, but I didn't have 120 inch deer the past two years. So uh, yeah, you know, everything everything changes. I, I don't.
0: And you're working your brains out to try and other find guys. them. But, but I mean, you've gone two years and haven't, fa- you know, haven't found your hunting partner shot a giant, and but they're not everywhere. And you guys are, you guys are working it over pretty dang good. It's just, it's just funny how there's a perception that, the, you know, I'm not going to say that there's not giant bucks in every unit because there is, but they're mm-hmm. not around every tree. Just like there's not a 400 inch bull in Arizona around every tree. They're hard to find.
1: For sure. And and you know I think ultimately the end is is what and, and you see it probably more with elk hunters Jay than than I do with with coos deer hunters but uh, any giant six point bull is automatically four hundred inches yeah and so
0: you <laughs> he's get, got big back you so get, he's at least three ninety <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: for sure so you get guys that 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 might see a really big coos deer well he's automatically one twenty now so. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and, and really, I guess, and I'm not perfect at it, but, uh, you know, I have a, a little system in breaking a deer down and what I feel like he's going to score in the end, and it seems to to work for me for the most part, so you got to really consider all the factors. You know, when you're talking about a bull elk, you got to consider the fronts just as much as you got to consider the, the, the how I finished out and, and, and different things like that, so um same thing on a coos deer and uh you know i think a lot of guys they they see these it's funny you can take my buck that i killed three years ago and put him and that buck scored 120 and some change and then you put him right next to mark hardy's buck that he killed last year and if you had to choose you had five seconds to take your pick you better hurry and shoot one you might actually shoot my deer
0: because a big because frame
1: he's big, because he's got such a big frame right so so he'll kind of throw you off a little bit and i think that's generally what you get when you get some of these guys in the field that that uh um they get a little bit caught up and he was really wide or he was really heavy or he was really tall um ultimately in the end it, it takes Everything. It takes so many things in order to reach 120 inches, and it just doesn't happen very often.
0: What would you say, well, if, if, if you had to put your finger on the number one biggest characteristic for big coos deer, you know, big, big coos deer, what's the number one characteristic that you want? He's got to have to, length. Yeah, length is everything, is it He's, not? Yeah, length, number of uh, number of points length in length. There. Yeah point length is everything on coos deer spread It doesn't matter really how wide they are point length is everything mm. You know if they're four For by sure. four and they're long points even better like three by three, you know Eight inch g2s, you know nine inch g2s, you know seven eight inch g3s Like they have to have big long eye guards like in order to be big. You've got to have point length
1: exactly and and that's why I think you you really got to pick these deer apart and you got to consider everything. Uh, I know in the last podcast we talked a little bit about a buck that Mark killed uh, two years ago. He was a typical four by four, and he netted one nineteen and some change. He netted almost one twenty, and and ultimately, when you look at that deer and you set him next to a buck that might have just a huge frame, really tall times. Uh, every day, you know, out of the week you'd shoot the buck that had a big frame and call times when in the end, all of those four points on that buck on each side, just added up.
0: Yeah. Point length is everything.
1: um, Point. Yeah. Length is everything. You know, once in a great while, it's kind of, it's really neat. Mark and I have this discussion all uh, often, you know, the the biggest thing that can throw us off sometimes, is mass and oh, that yeah. doesn't mean he's going to take him from 110 inch gear to 120 inch gear but sometimes you can take him to the next class where he surprises you a little bit
0: mass hides so, length so, always mass heavy bucks heavy bulls you know they they hide yep. length and if you're dealing with a buck that's got a lot of mass you think his points are shorter but when you get up to him you're like oh gosh he's got you know 16 mm-hmm. inches of mass or you know 18 inches of mass he's a giant you know massive buck um yep. you know and you're used to you know pinning in you know 14 inches of mass well shoot you're you know you get 18 <laughs> inches of mass you're you're talking eight total inches right there and you go from a 112 to a 120 like that
1: yeah well and and, and i'll tell you great that's that's where mark and i underscored the buck that he killed last year and i think ultimately in the end mass uh hid a lot of length that he had and so basically what happened was uh he went from a a low 120s deer to 130 inch deer so yeah mass hides length for sure
0: for sure man well Uh, I know you're busy. I really appreciate your time. I I really appreciate you, um, you know, giving us some of your knowledge. And, um, you know, I really encourage the listeners to uh, find you on Instagram and follow you. And I encourage the listeners uh, for sure to go back and uh, listen to the episode that that, uh, Jake and I already did. Uh, uh, Jake's uh uh, instagram handle is coos ocd which is just a perfect handle coos ocd so c-o-u-e-s-o-c-d on instagram and um uh jake i wish you the best of success this season uh i I forget you have elk or did you draw any antelope or anything else uh before your coos deer hunt
1: no no all i've got is a deer tag this year so
0: well you uh, can focus on that like
1: Yeah, that's all, I, that's all I've got.
0: Well, that's a good thing to have. I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, look forward to having you on again and uh, wish uh, you and your hunting partners uh, the best of success. And, um, yeah, we'll have to talk before the big game and, and uh, uh, put a lunch or dinner wager on it or something and uh, have some fun with that, okay?
1: For sure, Jay. Thank you for having
0: me. All right, buddy. You take care. Okay, God bless. All
1: right. We'll see ya. you. You too. Bye.